Where do you turn when your back is against the wall? Who do you seek when there is no one who can save you? When was the last time you asked for a miracle? In one of history's most transcendent moments, God parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could pass through on dry ground. Accounts from God's dealings with the ancient Israelites bear witness of a God who can deliver, a God who can provide, and a God who can make bitter things sweet. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow. God delivers me from harm consistently. My challenge is to be able to recognize that. But there was a specific time when I was younger that I was driving home on a beautiful day. I was incredibly grateful, filled with gratitude, and my car flipped at 70 miles an hour. Top was down. My seatbelt was non-existent at the time because this is an older car. Came out without a scratch knelt down to try to say thank you, and I heard this whisper that just said, I just need you a little longer. And I've been so humbled every day since then that I get another day to live. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here today. Today's discussion topics come from our studies in the book of Exodus, chapters 14 through 17. And the first topic we're going to discuss is lessons from the Red Sea. And the second topic is the Lord can make bitter things sweet. And to help us with our discussion, we want to first welcome our scholar, Dr. Kate Holbrook. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Dr. Holbrook earned her PhD from Boston University and studied the Bible and world religions at Harvard Divinity School. She is now a historian for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And seated next to Kate is Scott Anderson. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Ben. We're excited to have Scott with us today. Uh, Scott has been an institute teacher in Utah for over 40 years. He has a PhD in family therapy from BYU and has served in a stake presidency as, as well. Uh, he and his wife have seven children, 34 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. Amazing. That's very <laughs> impressive, Scott. Very impressive. Thank you so much for being here. We're excited to, to hear from you today. Glad to be here. So as we jump into this first topic of lessons from the Red Sea, can you give us a little background, Kate, on what has happened so far to, that has led the children of Israel to this point? Glad to. Uh, Moses has been called to be a prophet, and he has approached Pharaoh again and again and again and said, let my people go. There have been plagues against Egypt to try to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And finally, after losing his firstborn son, Pharaoh says, you can go. So Moses leads all of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then within a few days, <laughs> Pharaoh says, I was relying on the labor of these people to make this whole city work and make my whole life work. And he changes his mind mm. and he goes and he chases after them. Pushes them up against the sea. They're, they're kind of stuck between the a rock sea. and a hard place. Yeah. Scott, anything you want to add to this? Oh, yes. Thanks, Kate, so much. <laughs> What's it like for Moses to stand at that spot, look out and see Pharaoh's army coming and say, do I have enough confidence mm. truly in the Lord that I'm doing what he wants me to do? And I have a question, isn't that true for all of us? Mm -hmm. We strive to do what he's asked us to do and still feel at times like we're not measuring up, 
he's feeling trapped. The people are definitely trapped between a rock and a hard place, as you right. said. But what about Moses? Yeah. Yeah. He's standing there in front of his people. They look at him, and then they start murmuring against him. This moment is a telling moment in the life of Moses. Because mm. you, you, you'd imagine that there's a lot of pressure on him being their leader, and it's like, wait, did I do the right thing? You know, because now I've got him out of this one situation, but now we're stuck again. And I imagine there had to have been a little bit of doubt creeping in and okay, what do I go, what do I do from here? But then comes the miracle. You know, we have the the parting of the Red Sea. What sort of details do we learn from from this experience of parting this massive body of water? you know, when it would seem like all was lost. I think it's important that God didn't just part the waters. He had Moses raise his hands. Okay. And I think I see that over and over again, whenever God frees the children of Israel in all of the different difficulties they have, Moses always has to act. It's not done automatically on his behalf. Why do you think that is? Do you think there's benefits from Moses' end and from the children of Israel from their point of view, to see Moses act and then the miracle happens? Yeah, and for Moses, I think we, ha we have to do something. And even okay. if it's really symbolic, even if it's just lifting up our hands, I think we have to do something for God to really be able to come in and then carry the day. It's an act of faith. Yeah. He himself even had to act in faith to be able to bring about the miracle and then have them be able to witness such a thing. So I want to hear from the audience, uh, when have you had to act in faith when you were in a difficult situation? Matthew. I had a situation with my father. He actually was on a hospital bed. He had a congested heart failure. And I left my school to be with him to kind of take care of him, watch him. And during the whole time, I, didn't, I felt like I was trapped spiritually because I feel like I didn't have the faith to believe that he was okay, like I had to do something. And I just didn't know what to do. So I, I went to my room, sat down and prayed for a very long time, um, had a conversation with God and said, hey, I feel trapped, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I can do to help this situation. And in my heart and my spirit and my faith, he told me, he said, listen to your father, have faith that he'll be okay and do what you need to do. And I listened to him, I left, I prayed every day. And then a week later, he, he was recovering. He told me, he said, he said, you have to put your life to God. You have to pray. You have to believe in your faith and everything will be okay. And it affected me so much today. Thank you so much, Matthew. I love that idea of in our own lives, we have seas that, that we can part. And so this brings us to the story of, of back to Moses and the children of Israel. He actually parts the Red Sea. The seas part and here's an opening and they go through and live happily ever after. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. That's different than the story I so, read. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So let's get back to the story. So what can we? What other details as we're following this timeline of Moses parting the Red Sea, um, before we get into some of those lessons we learn, what other details uh, do we know about uh, what happened with the children of Israel? Not only did he part the Red Sea, but he also closed it. Mm. Sometimes that bringing back together that the additional part of the miracle was to protect them in the long run by having the water not stay parted, right? Sometimes those miracles don't happen long-term and keep okay. going. They happen just enough to make something happen. And then we kind of look back and say, I remember that happening, Yeah. but it's not happening now. 
Okay. And, and there's kind of a reason for that process, I think. There's something that happened in that process that was really important for them. And then as they're crossing through, we know the story continues. Pharaoh, he changes his mind. They pursue, and then the waters close up. So again, this theme of deliverance, the delivering them Protection. Right. As well as, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's jump into some of these uh, lessons. And one of the lessons that I think is, is pretty obvious is you have the children of Israel. They're in this, as we mentioned before, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. How do we find ourselves in, in today's world of this idea of feeling trapped? And what do we learn from this particular story about that? So much of the Old Testament is a physical example of a spiritual principle. We know that that's consistently done through sacrifice and all the rest. Physical example of a spiritual principle. So we watch okay. the physical example of sacrifice or whatever, the symbols that are there. But they really represent something much more spiritually involving all of us. Okay. So entrapment today in that kind of a way spiritually is rampant, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as I was listening to your beautiful comment, I... I remember being a 14-year-old boy and having a troubled family and going down to my room and feeling absolutely trapped, feeling like I didn't know what to do and feeling like I didn't like my life the way it was, I didn't like the mistakes I had made, and I knew nowhere else to turn. Mm -hmm. But just poured out my heart as sincerely as a 14-year-old kid could pray, I guess, at the time. He didn't part the Red Sea, but he parted my heart. And liquid love poured into my heart and I felt perfectly loved and then heard these sweet words. I love you, Scott. And I can take care of those problems you've had. That's what I do. And to get out of being trapped and feeling like I can't get out of this, and then to come to the point that I felt like, no, there's a way to part this and move through it and move on in my life. I've had to do that a thousand times since. You know, we all do. But I'll never forget the first time I felt my little Red Sea part. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's another valuable lesson that we learned from uh, the story of the Red Sea is here you have this group that is trapped and there was the deliverance that came. So I'd love to hear from the audience on this idea of what are some modern situations that we feel, we may feel spiritually trapped and where do we turn to for deliverance? Angel. Well, I think there's a, a modern day dilemma that we had that we didn't know we were going to be trapped. And that is when the pandemic set mm. in. And before that time, our prophet had it all set up of what to do. And he provided us with Come Follow Me and um, the home-centered, church-supported approach. And I'm sure there were, me included, there were a lot of thoughts of, can we do this? You know, what's it going to be like? And we were given steps. We were helped. We looked to the prophet. And all the way along, our leaders just said, you can do this. It's going to work. You don't need to feel trapped. And when COVID hit, we were prepared. <laughs> and we were, we were set up. And we could go forward in faith. Thank you so much. That's a great comment. Uh, we had a, a question come in from one of our viewers, you know, about... Uh, lessons from the Red Sea, and I'd love to get your take on what they have to say. Hi there. My name is Joseph, West Africa, Liberia. My question is about the crossing of the Red Sea. The law said that he was hardened Pharaoh's heart. So my question is, why do the law 
give us difficult tasks which we are compelled to accomplish? And also, how do we find solutions to difficult tasks? Thanks. That's a great question. Why does the Lord give us difficult tasks and how do we find a solution to them? Let's start with you, Kate. What do you think? I actually brought a quotation. I didn't know that question was coming, but I I wanted to share this. Uh, This is something that Elder Bednar said. As you and I come to understand and employ the enabling power of the atonement in our personal lives, we will pray and seek for strength to change our circumstances rather than praying for our circumstances to be mm. changed. And I think that's the answer. We're, giving, we're given hard things in our life. And sometimes I think we're not given hard things. Hard things just come. It's okay. just p- part of life. Uh, but what we can choose to do is become strong. And in our prayers, in our relationship with God, if we're praying for those things to go away, we don't grow. If we pray that God will make us strong, then we end up not only surviving, but becoming strong, being able to do more. Thank you so much for sharing that. Scott? Why do you think Alma and his people, when they were led out to Helam and then captured and put in bondage and all that happened to them at that place, and the Lord came and said to them in answer to their prayer, I will deliver you, but not yet. I need you to be a witness to me that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their affliction. And through that process of visiting us when we're facing difficult things, what happens to us? We grow. Now, just briefly, I'm not great at this lesson. (laughs) This is not an easy one for me. But my darling wife was expecting our third child. We had major complications that put her in bed for a long time. In the midst of all of that, we gave her a blessing. I felt very peaceful. She got worse. She got worse for months. The trials were amazing. I prayed so many times, Heavenly Father, where art thou? Why are we going through this trouble? And in the midst of all that painful experience, right? Sometimes wondering if he was really hearing. I wasn't learning quickly this beautiful lesson that this sweet young man from Africa asked. But the day came when very, very early, way earlier than she should have, we were in a hospital and she was being born. And as she came very early to this earth, they finished taking care of my wife and said, oh, the baby had to come now because there was a major complication. And if if the baby stayed in a couple more days, the baby probably would have died. So even though we knew had to come early, so I ran down to the emergency room. I'm standing there impatient. The doctor came out and said, are you the father of the new little preemie? I said, don't talk to me. Go help my little girl, right? He said, can I ask you a question? Did your wife have any problems when she was expecting this child? I said, doctor, you must not know our case. For five months, she's been flat on her back in bed, suffering and struggling. He said, oh, that explains it. He said, when that happens, stress happens, and chemicals pass into the baby and the baby matures sooner. He just simply said, you can be grateful for those problems because they're the reason your baby's doing so well. Two minutes from this place, she is sitting with her six beautiful children. But the joy she has brought into our life. But I went down to a father's room and knelt down that night and said, I'm so glad you gave me what I needed and not what I wanted. Mm. I wanted the difficulty to go away. 
The difficulty was what we needed. And now I realize it was the great blessing that we needed. That's a wonderful testimony, Scott. Thank you so much. I love everything that's been said today. And I, I just want to thank everybody for contributing to this first part of the episode. Um, and President Kimball, uh, he said something that really kind of teaches us this viable lesson that we can learn from this experience at the Red Sea. He said, no boats, no rafts, nor time to construct them. Hopelessness, fear, despair must have gripped their hearts. And then the miracle came. It was born of the faith of their indomitable leader. Waters were parted and Israel crossed to another world. Israel was safe. I just, I love that. You know, what a great uh, lesson that we learned from this, that as the children look to Moses for the de deliverance, we can look to Christ for deliverance. So thank you all so much for contributing to this first discussion, Lessons from the Red Sea. Daily nourishment for me is to forget myself, to forget my worries, my troubles, my problems in life. And how I do that is really the same way I did as a missionary, and that's serve others. When I start my day with scripture studies, makes the whole rest of the day go well. Even if things are just going rotten and I just have a rough time, I can always revert back to what I read this morning. And for some reason, it always seems to fit in with what I'd read. It's amazing. Every day I go onto social media, different forums and different groups, and I share comeuntochrist.org or biblevideos.org, and I invite people to learn more about our Savior and His life. Often, people will ask me questions about my faith and why I have such strong faith and why I believe in who I believe in. And it's a joy to be able to answer those questions and invite people to learn more about our Savior's gospel. So our second topic we're going to discuss today is the Lord can make bitter things sweet. Uh, Kate, do you mind giving us a little bit of uh, background on where this topic comes from within the story? So, cross through the Red Sea and then wander for three days and don't find any water. And then they finally come to a place called Mara and there's water, super thirsty, drink the water and it tastes bitter. Scott, what do you think the reaction to the Israelites is gonna be? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, we've kind of talked about the idea that our sweet Old Testament brothers and sisters lived in a time that was so physically kind of focused that often they were, when things didn't work out physically, they murmured. They murmured. And that whole idea about short-term memory, I mean, we just had a miracle happen, this wonderful things just happened to us, huge things happened, and now we go on, and things didn't all work out the way we wanted. And what do they say? We should be back there being slaves. <laughs> I mean, just that phrase that always says, I just want to go back, pick up my weaknesses again, and stop trying. That idea that said, here, I understand deliverance, but it's not easy. I have to keep trying and I have to keep working at it. Profound lesson really right off the bat in their new free experience, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I want to hear from the audience on this. And I'm actually going to read these verses, if that's okay. And so we are in uh, chapter 15 of Exodus. And as I read these verses, uh, what I want you to do is think about what are some of the bitter things that life presents to us sometimes, okay? So we are in Exodus chapter 15 and verses 23 and 24. And when they came to Marah, 
They could not drink of the waters of Mar, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So here we have this idea of bitterness entering our lives. And there's a complaint, you know, and naturally so sometimes. So what are some of the bitter things that life has to offer sometimes for us? Aaron. Um, so in terms of bitter things, when the Savior was asked the question of, you know, why, why bad things happen to good people, basically, his response was, um, so that the works of God are made manifest. And I think that that's something that we have to keep in mind when these bitter things happen in our life, is that these are um, the Lord's opportunities to show us miracles. And um, these are our opportunities to commune with God, to come closer to Him and get to know Him better. And I think that that's the sweetest thing of all. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing that. Has there been something in your life that has been bitter that the Lord is able to show His hand and His work through? Absolutely. Um, I My oldest daughter was born um, premature and um, and with a genetic disease, and uh, she actually only lived for five months. But and so so it was it was rough, and I saw a lot of miracles in her life, and I saw a lot of hard things. But something that was it opened me up to a whole new world and a whole new way that I could mourn with others. And after her life, I started to really notice um, the people around me who were in sorrow, and I was able to comfort them in a way that I knew I needed comfort. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. You know, one aspect of this story that I think kind of adds to some of the bitterness that the Israelites uh, went through was, was hunger. In addition to being thirsty, they're hungry, and the, the Lord is going to help them out in the situation. Uh, Kate or Scott, do you mind kind of catching us up with this part of the story? Tell them about manna, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they don't have food. <laughs> so when they're hungry, God answers the prayers with manna. And I was reading carefully this time. I, I don't think you know, I have a food blog. Like, I love food. I have yeah. my PhD, I studied food habits. It, and I can understand why they got sick of manna <laughs> because it, it's like the same thing every day. Right. But in any case, what a miracle. Mm. What a miracle that when you're hungry, you're, this food can just appear. And, and, and the rules were you only gather as much as you need. Okay. Except the for Sabbath. the Sabbath. Right. You gather more. It's just this other mm -hmm. little miracle after, well, big miracle after big miracle. And two parts of the story that are really impressive. Number one, it came like dew. What kind of a process was it to gather all that? Mm. It wasn't like it came in a clump. Yeah. I mean, it must have taken him a lot of energy and effort to gather it. But secondly, when God provides, it's a perfect, complete nourishment. What they had in this wonderful food was enough to meet all their nutritional needs. Some ways that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Well, not to worry about a food blog that I don't have. <laughs> um, but that idea that I can provide for your nourishment, I can provide your complete nourishing needs that you have, uh, that's a profound lesson in this too, I think. Mm. So as we look at some of these, these moments of, of bitterness um, and, and murmuring, 
why is it that we're so often um, quick to forget those moments and, and murmur when sometimes the solution is, is right before our, our eyes if we'll just you know, reach out and, and grab it? I do think it is a natural tendency to feel like we're so caught up in the moment that it's hard to remember the miracle of yesterday. Mm. And that that kind of creates uh, this murmuring tendency. But the opportunity to somehow have spiritual memory, to be able to cast our minds back and be able to say, I do remember the miracles of the past and they will help me get through the present. Because in reality, life has a lot of bitterness. Mm -hmm. We came here to be mortal. We came here for this experience. It's not something we didn't expect. And it's not something we don't live with constantly. So this lesson is profoundly important. This section of the Old Testament is so important for us because it's easy for all of us to have that tendency to murmur slightly. But I think one of the answers is to truly recognize his hand and remember his goodness and celebrate that every way we can. President Eyring said, every night I write in my book and some, look some way that God has blessed my life that day. Mm -hmm that ability to be able to see that. And he said, when I do that every night, it gives me the chance to cast my mind back on something I had not noticed before during the busy part of my day. I think we all have that opportunity to recognize his hand and it helps us to deal with the present challenges. Scott, thank you for sharing that. Can I share a quote that goes along with what you just said? Uh, it comes from John Taylor. He says, they had manna brought to them from time to time by the angels. I do not know what kind of mills they had, or who were their bakers, but they brought the manna. The angels do not feed us exactly with manna, but God does take care of us. And I feel all the day long like blessing the name of the God of Israel. What a wonderful lesson to learn that God is always with us and he's constantly trying to nourish us. And as I was thinking about this, you know, and the Israelites' reaction to these bitter things that are happening to them. Do you think sometimes we can be a little harsh on them and, and, and how they oh, how could you be so bitter? It's right in front of you. And how do we kind of see in, in ourselves some of the flaws of, of murmuring and reacting to certain situations? I've been thinking about that, them in that way too. So I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it is so easy to criticize the children mm. of Israel and not know what it was like to have been enslaved and then in the, in the particular way that they were and then let go and... And for generations yeah. they were enslaved. This is the only life they know for 400 years and all of a sudden they're thrown out in this wilderness and experiencing these new things. And these dis discomforts that they mm -hmm. hadn't had before. And yeah, so I do, I do think we need to have, I think we always need to have compassion for people of the past. I think, I wonder what people are going to think we were ridiculous right. for. Why were you taking all those plane trips when clearly the ozone layer was <laughs> disintegrating, you know, or why? Why were you all so hateful to each other when right. you should have, as a, as a country and world, banded together during mm -hmm. this hard pandemic or these hard political times? Yeah. There's a lot to criticize us, us too. So, yeah. Thank you. And, you know, as we're talking about the Lord providing manna for the children of Israel, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, when has the Lord provided manna for you in a time of need? Christine. I 
think back at, through some of the hard times that I've gone through, and uh, in many instances, um, not having enough to provide food um, was one of them. And I think through this time, I was learning to, to have faith. I was uh, going to a time of where I was reaching and searching and trying to build a relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And faith was a part of that. And so I'm one of those people that, you know, I was raised by my grandmother. So, you know, you take a little bit of that and a little bit of this and you bring it together and this is what you have and you make it work. But when you don't have a little bit of that and a little bit of this, then you begin to think, okay, what do we do? Mm. So I began to learn to not lean so much on me and to seek him. And I remember one particular moment, I just stopped and prayed a sincere prayer. And the Holy Spirit was there. And when I pulled up in front of uh, the apartment, my mom was standing there with gobs of groceries. And I'm, standing, I'm sitting in the van with the boys and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So when I got out of the car, she said, you know, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I was in the grocery store. And I had this feeling that I needed to do this and bring things to my boys. And I went like, <laughs> so those are the times, you know, it's, it's building on that and having that faith to lean on him and not so much on your own. I love that. And, and has that experience, Christine, been able to sustain you spiritually throughout other moments in your life? Yes, over the years, it has. Um, I have actually built on that, you know. Um, early on when we were talking, I had to learn to forgive certain things that happened in my life. And um, when I came to that point in my life where I needed to let that go, and one day I had this overwhelming feeling that I just went like, I'm done with it. it was re I was released. I felt such peace and such weight lifting off, to, off of me. So forgiveness and faith, those were my journeys, and I learned to walk in that in uh, hard times and uh, learned to reach for God and the scriptures, and it was amazing. I've seen miracle after miracle. Christine, you're an inspiration. Really, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Uh, you know, as we conclude this discussion. Uh, Scott, I'd love to get some final thoughts about just this idea of the Lord making bitter, bitter things sweet. I believe that he that receives all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him even an hundredfold, yea, more. That, that the Lord loves when we recognize his hand, that he loves when we can do that and consistently do it in hard times as well as good times, and that that process actually sweetens whatever experience we're going through. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Kate, thank you so much for, for what you've shared so far. Would you mind just talking a little bit about how was the Lord able to turn something so bitter into something that has become sweet in your life? Well, maybe I'll start by saying what was hard for me. I, my dad left when I was six weeks old and he lived in California and we moved to Utah to live with my grandma. So. I, I wasn't one of those children who had to, you know, travel every weekend from one house to the next. But 
And I really wanted siblings mm. and I really wanted a dad and I would pray for them. And I feel bad for my mom because when, when I was at that age, when I was still praying out loud with her, I'd pray, please, I want a dad and please, I want siblings. And my poor mom had to listen to that uh, when she had been misused by my, by my dad. It doesn't always work. But in this case, it really did for our family. She felt like her state of mind could determine the quality of our lives. And she felt like she needed to have a positive attitude about what was going on and about our lives. And I, as the child, just believed, mm. just believed that things were good because she acted like things were good. And I really had fun. I really had a good childhood living with my mom and grandma. And I remember my, my relative who was about my age, who had both grandparents, my grandpa had died and had both parents and had siblings. She was, she was jealous. She wanted to switch places with, with me. And I, I just think and it's not always possible, but my mom and my grandma really just made the best of what they had. And then they created something with God in our lives. It was really good. Thank you so much. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. In, in any situation, you can have that sweetness. Yeah. So, so from this experience, how has that helped you as you've gotten older and are now you are leading a family? Uh, how has that experience helped you to provide those same kind of experiences? I think it just helps me know that every family, every lifetime has its stages. Okay. You know, and what... So maybe I have a friend who grew up with lots of siblings and grandparents and parents who now doesn't have a natal family, you know, who didn't okay. marry or have mm, children of her own. Or maybe I have another friend who is married and then there's a divorce. Mm -hmm. Or that we just take what we have <laughs> while we have it and we, we try, to, try to make the best best of it. I, I think there's power in that. I feel reluctant to say it, I guess, a little bit, but I, I really do think there's there's power in that. And I think God can help God can help that those lemons become lemonade. Thank you so much for sharing that. Really appreciate it. And thank you all for, for your comments and in general, just the spirit that you have brought uh, to this discussion as we've talked about how the Lord can make bitter things sweet. What I learned, it was a good reminder how the Holy Ghost is what teaches us. There was a wonderful discussion. The Spirit was felt, and the Spirit testifies of what is being taught is true. And what was being taught today is to rely on the Lord, to depend on the Lord, have faith. You know, seeing's not always believing. You know, the people that were with Moses saw miracles, but yet they still didn't have the faith or the belief that they needed to until they were spiritually converted. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. Scott, I'm really excited to jump into some of these scriptures. And Jennifer, welcome. We have an, another scholar with us. We're, we learned so much from Kate in the previous uh, portion of the show, and now we're super excited to learn from you, specifically dealing with these chapters. Do you mind giving us a little bit of uh, introduction uh, of yourself and of your background? Sure. So I did my PhD in History of Christianity, and I taught religious education at BYU-Hawaii for almost 20 years. And then just this last year, I've moved. My husband and I are here in Provo, and I'm working at BYU at the Maxwell Institute. Well, we're very excited to learn from you and what you have to offer in regards to some of the things you've been talking about today. So thank you. Thank you. 
So I thought we'd jump into one of the things about this comparison between bitterness and sweet. Scott, do you want to start us off and get us rolling? Well, let's see that. Maybe we could read the actual scripture. Yeah, sure. it's a great passage. Jennifer, let's look at that. Right shortly after their memory doesn't <laughs> seem to stand very long. And, and it's and probably sobering, too. If we look at verse 22, they, they go three days into the wilderness, and they don't find water, and they're thinking, oh, no, <laughs> we're in trouble. And so they come, this is verse 23 of chapter 15, um, they come to Marah, and they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was Marah. So it's sort of a play on the, the place name and the so when it quality says, of the bitter just water. A, it's just a thought. Um, when it says they, they could not drink it, like, is, was, is bitter water bad for you, or they would not drink it? Well, it may be a human, I mean, there's certain things that our bodies naturally feel like okay. this is dangerous. And so it might have been a thing. Do they have a right to be complaining about, well, <laughs> about water? Caustic enough to make them sick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right but they're, they're worried. And I think that's what we see in the next verse. Okay. They're, um, this, this pattern of, of they're worried. So you've got us this far, but now what? So the people murmured against Moses. So they've, they've been delivered, but now they're in trouble. At least if they're feeling that way, right? The people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And here Moses, of course, exercised his faith. He cries unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which, when he'd cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And so this is, a, I think, a beautiful passage. It's personally relevant for all of our lives mm. of, of how, when we do panic, maybe the answer is to look to the Lord and ask for help rather than giving up and trusting that somehow some the water doesn't necessarily go away, but something about it can be transformed to okay. make it and some palatable. Jewish scholars have said that this is probably a bitter tree. It's interesting that chemically, if the bitter goes into the bitter, <clears throat> and of course, we have a reference very clearly by Paul that says they hung Jesus on a tree. And we always look for symbolism. But typology is so powerful. But here's this beautiful typology that says this bitter tree, right. representing the cross, as it were, put into the water, will make it living water. Wow. What he went through was to give us the opportunity to then have the water healed so that it can then nurture us. And I love that symbolism about bitter to sweet because we all have bitter times in our lives. His willingness to drink the bitter cup is where we can have our burdens lightened. And See, that's a perfect comparison, isn't it? The bitter water, but he drank the bitter, though they weren't, and then through that, it was made sweet for the rest of us. So, and, and we've all had experiences where very bitter experiences in our lives have then become sweet because we have the atonement, we have hope. And some of the most sweetest moments in our lives have come from that bitterness. As we look at kind of like um, uh, Eve, you know, this idea of, you know, we have to sometimes partake of the, partake bitter, of the bitter so that we can know the sweet. Know the sweet, absolutely. Yeah. And, and here we have this, this imagery of water and as well in this narrative, we have another image of bread, yeah. you know, and how we use the bread and the water. And so I love how they, they've incorporated this within this story and so much points to Christ. Can we talk a little bit about this yes. manna and, and a little bit of the story behind that? Yeah, they're worried again. They're, they're murmuring. And I think it, it shows us kind of spiritually, they've been in bondage for so long. They're just, these are like baby steps. They're, they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're starting to learn how to trust the Lord. And we're seeing what it looks like to not trust the Lord oh, okay. because so many times they're, they, any problem they run into, they, they just panic. I think that they're just, 
terrified so of, like, is this it? Are, are we toast because this problem has come <laughs> up? We can't drink, we can't eat. Deep. They really, and so what the Lord, I love what the Lord does because in responding to them, to their murmurings in verse 12, so in chapter 16, verse 12, the Lord speaks to Moses saying, I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Like, I'm hearing you, don't worry, it's gonna be okay. And then let them know that at even, so I'm gonna give you two kinds of food. And so in the evening, they're going to have the quails. And in the morning, they're going to be filled with bread. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. So he's trying to help them understand, we have this, we're, they're building this relationship, you can trust me. It talks about that every morning they're gonna wake up, so now in verse 14, and upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, and they don't even know what it is, which is why they call it manna, because it means, it's like, what is what it? Is it? Okay. What is it? <laughs> manna just means like, what do you call it? That's, that this is the what is it thing. Okay. They don't know what it is, so it's manna. Now, fortunately, it's a, it's a good thing, they like it, they do get tired of it later on, but <laughs> but they that it's consistent. And so part of what he's teaching them is they need to learn to be consistent too. Okay. So you just don't gather and then you're good, like you're set for the month. No, you have to get up every morning, every morning and you come and you gather and don't, and I think this just goes to the fear anxiety and oh, yeah. survival, right? Yeah. You want more. I want, I want, I don't just want a day's Hoard worth. This. I want a hoarding, yeah, I want yeah. a week's worth, I want a month's worth. And they were forbidden to do that. So you have to trust every day, which kind of goes, again, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily, daily bread. bread, that we have to trust that it's gonna come again. You know, every morning, and they, they couldn't take more than a day's worth. And some didn't. And then and they found the out, <laughs> exactly. It's like, that is not gonna work, this is not, you know, you think this is a good survival strategy. This isn't going to work. You really, so it's like they're getting this reinforcement day after day, week after week, month after month, eventually year after year, decade after decade. Um, but if you look at verse 22, it's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, that on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. So this is the exception to the rule. Right. Because the seventh day, which is, so this is sort of, um, preparing for the Sabbath, which is gonna be Saturday for them. So on Friday morning, they can have, they can gather two days worth. So they don't have to come and gather on the on Sabbath. Sabbath. So the manna was really instructive, nurturing. When he talks about bread of life here in John 6, mm -hmm. uh, just a verse or two, we're gonna start in verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, Maybe you do two verilies in a row. It means this is really pay attention. attention. Yeah. I say unto you, Moses, gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father's given you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. His beautiful instruction here, and then he goes on to say, yea, I am the bread of life. I love for us the imagery that said, what we've learned from the Old Testament is this physical example of a deeply spiritual principle. We need it every day, we need it consistently, we need to really honor the Sabbath, make it everything we can, and that if we can, then we can receive the bread of life and these beautiful promises. So speaking of the sacrament, let's move to the water. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. there's the dual yeah. imagery mm -hmm. that's given in Exodus so clearly, right? Yeah. And it happens very close close together to try to keep us right. thinking yeah. about that very thing. Powerful connection. They've been fed, but at this point, they're, they're worried about um, 
of being able to to drink. So we're in chapter 17 now. Yep. And again, the people are fearing, they're panicking, they're murmuring. And if you look in verse 3 of chapter 17, I think this this shows kind of how our fears make us think completely irrationally. Okay. <laughs> so they're they're asking Moses, like, what did you bring us here for? Did you bring us here to kill us? To die. <laughs> like, because they're 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 they, they want to be, we'd rather be back than be here and dying of thirst. And, and they've just is, had a couple pretty, been, pretty big miracles, fed, right? It's like, right. how did you forget yeah. so quickly? But that the, the, this, and I think this kind of going back to building our faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that can lead us to not trust. And the Lord is trying to help us realize we can trust him in any circumstance. He will always be there. He will always meet our needs. And this is so visceral, Profound. like yep. meeting our physical needs for survival. This, the Lord will... The Savior is there for us to meet our needs. And so we see this very literally here, but it, it's, it's real for us in each of our lives. So let's look at these verses. So they're asking this panic question, why did you bring us here to kill us, basically? <laughs> and if you look in verse 4, Moses is crying to the Lord, and he's kind of panicking too. What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. So like, I'm scared. <laughs> now this comparison has happened lots of times. We mentioned it before, but what did he do? The people turned to him mm-hmm. negatively, criticizing, murmuring. Mm-hmm. He turned to the Lord in ultimate faith and right. said, what do you want me to do? Help me. I need that help. That process yeah. that he is establishing of always being able to turn to the Lord. He has and he gets the answer. He gets the answer. He gets right? the answer. I think he's helping them learn and helping us learn mm-hmm. <laughs> that we can turn to the Lord when we're panicking, that this can be a model for us to to take our worries, to take our problems, whatever it is, take it to the Lord. So he takes it to the Lord, and the Lord gives him a solution. He gives him a very specific solution. So in verse 5, the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people. Before is important here. Right. So he's leading, right? right Go before the people. Take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod, also very important, (laughs) wherewith thou smotest the river. So he used this rod to part Part the the sea. Take it in thy hand and go. And then, I love this here in verse 6. He says, behold, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Horeb. So this is a sacred place. The Lord's going to meet him there at this place where the solution is going to come. So again, the rock. I mean, you have these images for Christ. He's going to be with him at the rock. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Which that being in the sight is important Mm -hmm. because the rod has multiple meanings, of course, but one of them is authority. Moses is standing with the authority in his hand, directed by God to, and the rock, according to multiple scriptures in the New Testament, represents Christ. Christ. That he is the rock and you smite it and living water comes forth. So a prophet has the power through his authority to bring living water into our lives from Christ. And that imagery is just stunning. And I, I love this, um, this imagery. And there's a really cool transition that's about to happen. We talked about bread and, and water and a daily partaking of it, that that's what sustains us. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you have this transition of Moses, go before the people. I need you to show them that you are the one that needs to be sustained. So we have this, this, this story about the people of Amalek and this beautiful imagery. Scott, would you mind teaching us a little bit about oh. how this, this, this theme of sustaining as we come to Moses now in this particular story? Love to. This, this is an interesting 
account in the middle of here that's very different than everything else, right? Mm -hmm. The Amalek story, but there's a profound lesson to be learned. Right, so we have, again, now we're to battle and the, the other, engaging with other people, not just survival, but it is kind of survival, because you think about if you're a battle, you're worried about preserving yourself, you're, you're in danger. All of the Israelites are in danger. And so the question is, how are they going to be protected? How are they going to be sustained? And Moses has a particular role here. They go, and Moses, This so we're still in chapter 17. So like you say, it's right next to it. I think it's significant. Yeah. They're right together. And Moses holds up his hands. And when he holds up his hands, Israel prevails. And when he lets down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So, so there's this sense where the, the prophet is connected to the people and is, is able to, through the intervention of the Lord, be able to bless the people. But the burden of holding, sort of being able to do what he needs to do to bless the people is really weighing on him. And we see that here when his hands get heavy and how, how this story develops. He needs support yeah. to do. And Aaron and her come. And they hold up his arms, yeah. put rocks under his arms, and then hold up his arms and brace them, right? Are there some practical yeah. things that you can think of that maybe, I don't know, because we're talking about we're never going to be in a position where we're going to hold up his arms. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some practical things that, that we can do? Or, or what are some practical things that, that you have found have benefited you and strengthened your testimony in a modern prophet where you, you know, symbolically held up his hands? For me, the idea of sustaining is is confidence and trust that the Lord has chosen whoever the prophet is at any given time that that he's the one the Lord wants and okay. doesn't mean that he's perfect the Christ is Christ's church it's not the prophet's church just like the Moses you know Moses's hands got heavy he was a human being prophets are they but they are the one that the Lord chooses and so for me sustaining them is, is trusting the Lord and to to choose to follow his voice, the voice of the Lord through the prophet, and to trust that the Lord is speaking through whoever is called at that particular time, and to remember it's the Lord's church. I love chapter 15, where it's like this praise. And it's because it's, it's all about, it's not about Moses, it's all about Christ. In uh, the beginning of chapter 15, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. I love the, this imagery of calling it a song. Um, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. Now, this is a guy who just parted the Red Sea, yet he's saying, he, the Lord, has triumphed gloriously. The he's got horse, the right perspective. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. he knows it wasn't, wasn't him. him. That's right. Yeah, it wasn't his power. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. I just, I love that. Always pointing it back yeah. to... The source. And I think the more real the Lord is for us, that we want to live, that invitation to live, where Paul uses that image, the year, the temple, and that the Spirit, we want to live so that the Holy Ghost can be with us. Living worthy, making, keeping covenants is recognizing we want the Lord to be with us. And the whole point of covenant is to have the Lord with us. But we have to prepare the habitation. Exactly. We have to invite him in and make, because we read over and over in the Book of Mormon, no unclean thing can be in the Lord's mm -hmm. presence, but we also, he is not going to be in an unclean house. We have to prepare yeah. the habitation for him. And I, so I think the more we feel his love, um, the more we want 
to, to live so that he can be with us. And this, is, this psalm really, I think, just speaks to, to all the good that he's done that, that moves our hearts to him where we want to be close. It draws us to him. And we feel that love that Moses has to, Thank to do that. Thank you for sharing that. It's inspiring to see the passion you have for that. Scott, I would love for you just to give us some, some of your final thoughts on what we've been talking about today. We kind of talk sometimes about, well, you know, can you find Christ in the Old Testament? Christ is the Old Testament. He is Jehovah. Amen. He's in every action in the Old Testament. He spoke to Adam. He went, all, all these things we're reading, we don't have to find Christ. He is constantly there. That's his role, right? And to see it and to recognize it and to understand it and then to receive it. And it's all through the scriptures. I mean, we get into the Book of Mormon, you find mm -hmm. so many references that say these experiences that happened to Moses. I mean, the Book of Mormon is an Old Testament text for most really? of it. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that, how many times? Yeah. In fact, he kept the Book of Remembrance, and it talks about the importance that he did. Well, that Book of Remembrance is what Nephi and his family went back to get. And how important was that to them? And how many times did Nephi quote Moses? and said, we've got to have his courage. And how many times did Limhi? And we go right through, and Alma, Alma just says, time after time, they are using this book of remembrance to turn them to Christ. And it gave them confidence. They knew that the Lord had redeemed Israel, and they knew that the Lord could redeem them in their circumstance, in their lives, in the present, because these, this and, witness and of this text. Even more, in the Book of Mormon, it's a Christ-centered law yes, of Moses, really which is. makes it really clear to yeah. us. But it's yeah. exactly the same in the New in the Old Testament yeah. also. And just have to get to I see Jehovah. To understand Jehovah is knowing that that He is the, the Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament, and He is the Redeemer of Israel. And I think seeing that makes you really love the Old Testament because it is His story and and how He works with His covenant people. It is relevant for us today. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Scott, it's, I, I love just being with you and, and just feeling of your, your testimony, your spirit. And Jennifer, I just, I'm always so impressed with your knowledge and the hard work you put in and dedication to the scriptures. And what great lessons, uh, we, what great topics we talk about today. Lessons from the, the Red Sea and the Lord can make bitter things sweet. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Ben. And thank you all for joining us at home. We want to remind you and invite you to follow through on any prompting you may have received from the Holy Ghost as you've been with us today. Thanks again, and please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.